everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Boring Startup Podcast. On today's episode, I want to talk about the decision that I've made to leave the particle ecosystem, specifically dropping the P1 module and switching over to the Espressive ecosystem using the ESP32 module. And uh, I just want to go through uh, sort of the, the story and the reasons behind that. So first of all, before I get into the reasons why I'm redesigning off of particle, I think it'll help to understand why I chose the P1 module in the first place uh, when I started this uh, process about two years ago. So first and foremost, Particle was familiar. Uh, I was one of the original backers of the Spark Core on Kickstarter and have been using the platform from the very beginning. I would consider myself fairly expert in most things Particle. Uh, I gave a talk at an open source conference on how to use the Particle Photon at the time I did a uh, workshop where Particle sent me some hardware and I showed other people how to get started and use it. So, I mean, I've, I've been around the ecosystem for a very long time and have learned a lot about it. And so when I heard that they released a production module, it seemed uh, like an easy choice. And I wanted my focus to be on my product's value add, not on figuring out all the nuances of an embedded platform. I felt like I had already done that with Particle. Um, and so I wouldn't have to do that. I, I just, I knew everything there was to know about it. Uh, or so I thought. Turns out it's not so simple. So another major reason I went with the P1 is because it's already FCC certified. This is a huge deal as a smaller IoT shop. It means you don't have to invest thousands of dollars on RF design and rounds of FCC testing. Module's ready to go and approved. Uh, once again, you can put the module right into your product and just focus on the value add. That's the idea. And then finally, I went with Particle because they were building an ecosystem that I was hoping to leverage. I wasn't just buying the P1 module, I was buying into their entire platform and backend, which allows for things like over-the-air firmware updates and device management. Uh, this was, yet again, a feature set I did not want to implement myself and just wanted to get, you know, quote, for free. So what went wrong? Well, the bottom line is that the particle ecosystem is not as production ready as I hoped. Uh, warning signs started popping up almost immediately as I got into my product development, but I assume they were all normal hurdles in creating a project. Uh, I had to learn the hard way, so hopefully my lessons can, can help somebody else out there. And again, I'm not trying to convince people not to use particle, just sharing how it worked out for me. So uh, let me go through some of the things that I ran into. First, tooling. In the beginning, Particle got very fast adoption by offering a lot of options for developers. There was the cloud IDE, there was local dev, I believe it was through like the Atom um, text editor, and they had a command line option. Lots of options are great until you find out they all produce slightly different outputs. They compiled firmware differently, you couldn't do a project in local dev and then switch it over to the CLI. There were a lot of problems uh, and I ran into this early on, um, some headaches of trying to figure out how these things worked differently. Uh, later on, Particle introduced the VS Code plugin, now known as Particle Workbench. Uh, Docker, which is personally my preferred method of doing things, uh, never really became a first class citizen. They did dabble in it a little bit, but uh, it never it never became mainstream for them. 
So in short, the tooling has been all over the map, although slightly more focused, I'd say, with the introduction of Workbench. Um, but uh, additionally to the tooling, the most crucial piece of tooling, production programming, is severely lacking. And I mean not even close. And let me, let me talk about that a little bit now. So it takes me almost two minutes sometimes a little longer to program a single stat feeder puck. And that's using an automated script that cuts out a lot of manual keystrokes. So first, the particle device OS, that's their firmware, has to be flashed in two parts. And that, that's matched up with the, the version of that is matched up with your product firmware, in my case, the, the stat feeder puck firmware. So those things have to match. After, uh, after that, after you flash those two parts, the current uh, and, well, not current, the correct and matching particle bootloader version needs to be flashed. However, that cannot be done in DFU mode as the other one. So to, to flash the device OS, you have to put it in what's called DFU mode on the particle that's a, like a flashing yellow LED. And that allows it to be programmed over USB. The bootloader, however, cannot be programmed in that mode. It has to be in setup or listening mode. This requires button interaction. That's right. There is no way to get into that mode from DFU mode where you just program the device OS without physically touching the hardware. Uh, this also increased my bill of materials cost. Now I had to have two buttons on my completely enclosed product whose only purpose is to be used during programming. Customers will never see or touch these buttons, uh, but I got to pay for them and the accompanying componentry like pull-up resistors and stuff. So probably about, I'd say, 50 cents uh, to my product for buttons that customers never will use. So once that's done, you'd think, all right, now it's time to put my, pro my firmware on. Wrong. Charlie Murphy here. Wrong. Due to some factory programming issues, I, at least I'm assuming that's what they were, over 90% of my P1 modules shipped without valid Wi-Fi encryption keys, meaning when people would try to connect to their Wi-Fi, it just wouldn't work. You'd get an error code. And I discovered this after a few of my customers weren't able to connect uh, that the keys were corrupt. So now it's not all of them but i don't know which ones are corrupt and which ones aren't so now as part of my process i have to fix that by flashing an intermediate piece of firmware so i created a a standalone piece of firmware that i flash onto the device it fixes that problem by running uh, some particle commands and then moves on to the next step <clears throat> so the entire purpose of that middle firmware is to fix an issue and again there is no automated or hands-free way to do that i'm in setup mode from flashing the bootloader in the previous step now i have to push buttons to get back into dfu mode to fix the encryption keys uh, another issue that most of my p1 devices had is that the factory particle key was invalid or corrupt lots of them had this problem meaning they can't connect to the particle cloud which in turns means in turn means you can't get over the air updates or any of the other features that particle console offers um, this um, again is a separate key from that wi-fi key so i have to regenerate a valid key and program it onto the device this is getting long i know but like this is the process i go through to program every single puck once we've made it this far, we're finally ready to flash my actual product firmware. 
And so I did the math on this just for fun because I was going through scenarios of scaling and I calculated that if I got an order of 10,000 units, it would take a single person working solid eight hour days. When I say solid, I mean no bathroom breaks, no, no breaks, eight full hours. It would take them 42 days to program them all. And now nobody works a perfect eight hour day. So um, factoring that in, we're talking months just to program devices. And that is, aside from all the other things, and I have a couple more that I'm gonna go through here, aside of, if any of these other things weren't an issue, this one alone is a deal breaker. It is completely unacceptable for programming your device for production to take that long and have that many steps. And again, most of those steps are fixing things that should not need to be fixed straight from the factory um, that particle ships them. So um, next up, cost. I originally didn't think that $12 a unit was a problem. That's what I pay for the P1 modules. Uh, considering the FCC certification and my perceived value of particle console, like the OTA, fleet management and stuff, I thought it was a fair price until it wasn't. Um, the first 100 devices you onboard to particle console are free. Uh, after that, you have to pay for them. And when I contacted sales, I was told to expect about a dollar a month per device to continue using the features of Particle Console. Uh, and that, I mean, that's easy math. You sell a thousand devices, now you have a perpetual $1,000 a month bill to Particle. Great business for them, out of business for me. Uh, that's just, that is unsustainable. And so, um, as part of that, I only use, and this is what I found about the perceived value of Particle Console, I only really use the firmware update feature. I don't use any of the health diagnostic stuff or the customer association things. I just use it for OTA. And firmware updates are an extremely important uh, aspect of an IoT device, but they follow an exponential decay. So during early adoption, you'll likely be fixing bugs, adding features, but as time goes on, the frequency of those updates decreases. And so if I get to a point where I update a device, let's say twice a year, I'm paying $6 per update per device. That's insane and completely unsustainable. And so console, like I said, does offer other things like the device health and the customer association, but I don't need or use any of them. And I certainly can't pass, in my case, again, I can't pass on a $1 a month per device cost to my customers. In the end, the cost to use the platform, in my opinion, is vastly disproportionate to what you get in return, um, specifically what I got in return. So... Um, I wrote a couple of other things down here that were reasons. Um, so I spent, yeah, this one, I spent $1,500 to redo a pilot run because of, I'm not going to say it was an error in their data sheet. It was very unclear and not called out. And I asked them, please, you should call this out to save other people. Data sheet still hasn't been updated with that. Um, I couldn't get a firm answer to a simple deep sleep current consumption question. I went into their forums and said, hey, I don't think what is in your data sheet is right. I think it's off by a lot. And here's why. And I presented all my evidence. And then somebody from Particle came in and said, oh, yeah, that sounds right. And I was like, okay, but can you like give me the from the manufacturer word that I am right? Like I'm trying to base battery life estimates and things around this like can you please tell me that your data sheet is wrong and they never responded like just 
dead, dead forum post. Um, I found out that in very common scenarios, the P1 will never wake up from deep sleep. If you are in a very common configuration and you tell the P1 to go into deep sleep, it will never wake up. And there is no way to wake it up. You plug it in to the USB, not going to wake up. It is stuck in deep sleep until the battery goes dead. Now, in my case, the size of the battery in deep sleep mode, you're talking about a year, maybe two years before the battery goes dead and you're able to access it. So it's essentially bricked without being bricked. Like it's, it's in a deep sleep state and will never wake up. So it's essentially bricked for until the battery goes dead. So I have to program or I have a bunch of firmware around that that knows when that happens and avoids it. So um, that's crazy. I Let's see what else we have here. I oh, Once I was told on a support ticket to, quote, update to the latest firmware to see if that fixes it. That's not how you run a production company. Like when these things are released and every this is another thing that I, I've grown to not appreciate about Particle. Every release is this is ready for production and they want you to be on that like on the front of that and staying on the front of that. That's not, that's not how hardware works. Like hardware, like you don't go and get a firmware update on your car every three weeks, every month, right? Like the firmware running in my 1997 Escort is from 1997 or 1996, right? Like you don't have to, so this idea, and I'm not saying all products need to be like that and don't have updates, but they really want you to stay recent and they have a crazy wild update cadence and so um, but on that one particularly it turns out was a major device os bug that caused um they pulled the production release of that after i had actually delivered it to a few customers per their recommendation by the way and so just a lot of that so i mean after almost two years of this i i personally again this is my opinion have come to the conclusion that the particle ecosystem is still a pro maker ecosystem at best. Um, it is not, um, they have not been able to deliver a true production ready experience. And again, personally haven't delivered enough value for the cost of using the platform, uh, the particle console and things like that. So that's why I'm making the switch. Now let's talk about the ESP32. Uh, why that, why the ESP32 as opposed to something else? Well, it, and, and you might also ask, well, how is this going to be? How is Espressive and the ESP32 different than Particle and the P1? Well, I've, I've got a few things that I want to run through here uh, that I'll, I'll explain, but I don't really know because I'm, I'm new to it and I'm just now uh, coming up to speed on it. And so let's, let's go through some of these that I wrote down. So hardware specs. First and foremost, the ESP32 hardware is light years ahead of the P1 in terms of memory capabilities, all that. Um, in addition to Wi-Fi, which the P1 has, it also has Bluetooth and has lower deep sleep current, which is super important, again, for my application. Uh, free RTOS, Particles Device OS, it is open source, but it's being maintained by a very small group of people. And, and again, it is open source, but the m- main driver of it is just the employees of Particle. And I'm going to call it, they've lost the race to free RTOS in terms of stability and features and being production ready. Uh, ESP32 runs free RTOS out of the box. Uh, let's talk about documentation and tooling. In the, I don't know, I'd say probably 20 to 30 hours I've spent in the Espressive ecosystem, all the documentation and tooling feels much more polished than Particle's. Uh, I'm not going to give it the production ready stamp of approval yet, but so far I have no complaints. Uh, Production programming, 
Remember that one from a few minutes ago that is the worst for particle? Uh, I haven't fully fleshed this out yet, but so far everything is completely hands-free, no buttons required, and I haven't hit any of the myriad of issues that I was uh, running into in, in Particle's ecosystem. Uh, this next one is a big one, and it's the longevity commitment that Espressif makes. Um, you can find lots of complaints in the Particle forums about availability of P1 modules, and uh, given some of the recent turbulence at at the company that's made it onto TechCrunch, uh, you have to wonder how long the P1 will be supported and available. And if you're building a product off of it, like that complaint, it's not like a capacitor where it's like, oh, the, the Murata capacitors are out of stock. I'll just get a Kemet one. Like if the P1 goes out of stock and that's your main chip, you're screwed. I mean, there's, that's it. Um, and so Espressif has a 12 year longevity commitment on certain part numbers. The ESP module that I'm using is one of them. And if I remember correctly, based on the year that they gave the commitment, uh, they guarantee to produce these through, I believe it's 2028. That gives you a lot of confidence as a product maker that the part's gonna be around and available and supported. Um, oh, AWS, I wrote down here. Uh, because it runs free RTOS, um, the ESP32s can integrate with Amazon's AWS IoT offerings out of the box. This includes, and I still need to research this and I, I wanna share as I learn about it, this includes things like paying pennies for OTA updates, which is something that I always, I, that's what I would have done with Particle. Particle had said, hey, listen, it's 10 cents per device to, to just run an OTA update. Uh, that would have made sense versus, hey, pay a dollar a month and you might need to do that sometimes. So um, I, the AWS IoT things also offer a lot of the features that console offers for a fraction of the cost. Uh, and then and as with all other things, Amazon, it's pay as you use, not, not just a fixed flat rate a month. Uh, just like the P1, the ESP32 module that I'm using is FCC certified, so I'm all set there. And lastly, cost. Not only are the console features night and day more affordable through AWS or Azure, like the, the same features that you get in part of a console, way cheaper through AWS, but the module itself is a fraction of the cost. We're talking $3.80 compared to $12. Now, that comes with a bit of a caveat. I need USB serial connections, which the P1 does provide out of the box. The ESP32, however, does not. Well, to solve that, you have to put in a UART bridge chip, something like an FTDI, and even with the cost of that extra chip and supporting components, I'm still half the cost of a P1. And so um, they went on that as well. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm super grateful for Particle. They were the means by which I released my first hardware product. Um, you know, it's like that first kiss, that first girlfriend or boyfriend. I mean, I'm grateful to them because I, I was able and I had the confidence because of their ecosystem to to go on this journey and try to make a product. Going forward, however, I just, I feel like they're a little bit too startup for my comfort. Um, over the last 18 months, I'd call it, they have faltered significantly. They launched that whole particle mesh thing, which didn't apply to me, but um, then they just recently, a few months ago, I think it was, uh, shut it down. The CEO said, we're not gonna do it anymore. They created this Gen 3 series of products, which kind of was, tied to mesh and and those massively undermined the quality of their quote production gen 2 products and that's the p1 would fall into that gen 2 lineup 
And, you know, you add that recent news, like I mentioned about layoffs, internal turbulence, and you just, I, you get a recipe for uncertainty about the future, uh, in my opinion. So my, my sense is, is that right now, Particle is lost in the startup woods, trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And ultimately, I, I lost confidence that they are the best option for me moving forward. And, and the economics and all those other things just it made it an easy decision, a slam dunk to jump ship. So um, I, I'm extremely excited to make the switch to the ESP32 module. I've already put in a bunch of work to do that. And I'm not going to talk about, uh, I'm not going to talk tech too much here on the podcast, but I am doubling down on sharing that side of the journey on Twitch and YouTube. So if you follow me over there, um, I'm going to be posting a lot of that. If you're interested in the very specific, more tech details of how the redesign is going, what goes into a project like this, then you're definitely going to want to follow me on Twitch. My username over there is just Kevin Sidwar, all run together, K-E-V-I-N-S-I-D-W-A-R. And I've already started doing some live streaming there on the work that I'm putting into, again, get the ESP32 redesign uh, up and running. And so that is going to do it for today's episode of the podcast. I just wanted to, again, run through the the mentality of making a switch like this. This is a big switch. Changing out the main processor, the brains of a project is, is kind of a big deal. And so, um, excuse me, that's that's how it's going, why we made that decision. And uh, like I said, I'm not going to keep you too informed on the tech aspect of that going forward. Um, if you want to follow that, again, check me out over on Twitch. I would love to hear from you out there. Like I end every episode, please reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin Sidwar, on Instagram at SidwarKD. And as always through email, Kevin at Sidwar.com. The newcomer to that list is again, my Twitch handle is uh, Kevin Sidwar, all run together. You can find me streaming over there. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you have an amazing day.